What is up to all of you individuals out there, to the tens of ones listening, even to the mutants among us, it's me, it's me, it is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega here with yet another very special episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, and this would be very special episode 74. Yes, we have now, or we will, by the end of this recording, have created 74 iterations of the podcast, which is um, somewhat mind-blowing, considering um, it is a show that every week, um, every 74 of these iterations, I've been unsure that I would actually be able to procure from the depths of my mind, from the recesses of my consciousness, anything to synthesize into content to share with you, the uh, hordes of listeners out there. Yet for 74 iterations, we have managed to do so. So just going to give the show, all the staff here, um, our team at the studio, our team at the manor, just a, a big round of applause here for making it through 74 episodes, and we'll see if maybe, maybe there are 74 more to come. But with that out of the way, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week was actually an easy week for me. This week, I actually had some ready-made content to share with you. So I'm spinning my tale of woe, I'm spinning my tale of content, poor mouth, and really... It doesn't apply to Very Special Episode 74. So for those of you who tuned into Very Special Episode 73, I believe I cited this um, last week, which was actually two weeks ago or a week and a half ago when I recorded it, but the episode that aired last week, um, that yours truly, Mr. Sensational Gino V, I was going on vacation. And go on vacation I did. I went on vacation for about a week to the island of Oahu in the state of Hawaii. Spent most of my time in the city of Honolulu. Sometime in the hinterlands and the eastern coast and up to the north shore, I guess they call it. Um, but yeah, I went on a trip and it had been a while. It had been a while um, primarily due to um, the years, the year-ish plus sort of, I guess like more or less two years, um, spent dodging um, uh, the COVID-19 virus, the, 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 that year or two where travel was not really a thing. I mean, I guess for some people it was a thing. For, for me, it was not really a thing. And I'm not even, I'm, you know, I wasn't a big super COVID-phobic person, but it just didn't really make sense to be um, gallivanting around the world, uh, particularly in the pre-vaccine days of COVID, the pre, I mean, yes, we had ivermectin. Yes, we had, what was the other one? <laughs> Uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine, was that what it was called? Yes, we had those miracle drugs, but um, until we merged those with the vaccine, I guess that doesn't make sense because if you believe in those, you don't believe in the vaccine and vice versa. So I don't know. For me, until there was a reputable um, ward against the worst outcomes of the COVID-19 virus, I wasn't really looking to um, jet set, as it were. So I was out of practice. I was out of practice for travel. Um, I'm trying to think. We took one trip in the um, pre-vaccine COVID-19 era. Got a little stir-crazy, so we took a trip. And I believe it was around Thanksgiving, probably of 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's when it would have had to have been. Uh, we took... Wait, no. Thanksgiving of... Yeah, I don't know. It was the Thanksgiving after COVID had been going on for a while. I can't remember if that would have been 2020 or 2021. It would have been 2020, yes. Um, anyway... 
Thanksgiving of 2020, we as a family, our four-pack, me, my wife, and our two daughters took a trip to um, the Palm Springs area. I'd never been to Palm Springs before, I don't believe. No, I hadn't. It was a, the, the Ms. S, my wife, had been before. The kids and I had not been. We took a trip to Palm Springs because we stayed um, in a hotel and didn't really mingle with people. And then we just went out and spent most of the time hiking out in the desert, which was a seemed to have been a fairly COVID-safe uh, activity. And yes, none of us did ever come down with the illness, so it seems to have been fine. Um, Palm Springs was an interesting trip, though, because... Um, it was like mutant central down there. Uh, very, um, it seemed to be attracting a lot of, um, uh, you know, COVID denier types. And this was at the height, you know, where it was still like, you know, you're hearing stories right and left of people having bad outcomes. And you had everyone out there belligerently trying to throng as closely together as humanly possible. Um, I remember we did kind of wander around to the downtown one night and got some ice cream. And we were sitting by ourselves at kind of a secluded bench, and this guy came up and wanted to know if uh, he wanted us to take his picture with with one of our phones. We're like, no, that's okay, because we didn't really feel like getting close to him, passing stuff around. And he got all irritated and angry and left. So that that was the scene down in Palm Springs. Well, we survived that trip, but we took that trip. But that was like that was a car trip. We drove. Yeah, we drove. Yeah, of course we drove. There's no way we flew during that time period. But yeah, we drove down to Palm Springs and um, felt a little dicey just because I was still in the height of the unknown. But we did it. We survived. So we took that trip. Uh, we took one other trip post-vaccine. We went to Disneyland, and um, that trip was great. That was. Um, Right when things shifted from the now everyone's vaccinated and COVID is gone to, oh, actually, there's like, I think there was the Delta variant and everyone's going to die again, but we went anyway and it was fine. Um, one of our daughters had some unrelated health issues on that trip, so it kind of trip wasn't all that, but it was a, the, the next the next trip, one of two trips we took in the COVID era until now with this trip to Hawaii. And the Hawaii trip emerged because um, before COVID, we had had plans to, um, during the uh, spring break of um, that first pre-COVID uh, year, during that spring break, we were going to, as a family, go to Japan. And obviously that didn't happen. And even now, I haven't checked in that much lately, but I know even like six months ago, even if we had been able to go to Japan immediately post-vaccine, things weren't exactly up and running there in a way that you'd want to spend the time and effort and money it takes to get there as an American, um, just to have everything be closed and restricted. I want my freedom, damn it. When I go to someone else's country, it better be free or I'm not going to set foot there. No, but you know what I mean? It just, it, there was no, it, it didn't really seem like a point, there being a point of going there until it is fully open once more. So we had this kind of hole in the family life where we had, we're going to go on this epic trip. It, it, it got postponed once because we moved here to Napa, California. It got postponed a second time because of COVID. Now we're here, we're vaccinated, we're ready to go, but we're still not ready to go to Japan. So we thought, you know what, let's go to Hawaii. It, it's a, a plane flight. We'll get back in the practice of flying. It's in the United States, but it's not in the continental United States. So it's a little exotic, I guess. I don't know. Um, there's a... Um, a lot of Asian and Asian-influenced food there, and that's an interest of mine, as you may know from uh, listening to the show. So we decided on Hawaii. And for a little bit of background information, even prior to COVID, it's not like Mr. Sensational Gino V was some hardcore 
world traveler or even traveler or vacationer. Um, I've never been outside of the United States. Um, when uh, I was growing up as a kid, our family never really went anywhere. We took one trip, one family trip. Well, we would do countless like little trips, like driving down to LA to visit relatives or going on like camping trips to campgrounds like an hour or so away from where we lived. Um, but we only ever took one family trip that involved flying in an airplane. Um, and that was to visit um, Washington, D.C., to look at all the you know memorials and uh, historical stuff there, and um, to visit um, my dad's best friend, um, a guy named Rich, Richard, who I actually bear... My real name, my real middle name is Richard, and it comes from the late, great Rich Firestone, who's no longer with us, but we went to visit him on that trip many, many moons ago. I think the year was 1986. That was the one big family trip. And I don't know. I mean, I think part of it was finances. It's not like our family were high rollers. But also my mom is just um, an extreme warrior. So... um, she's just not someone that's predisposed to things like plane flight and strange lands. Um, so for whatever reason that, yeah, the, the travel was not a thing growing up. Um, as a teenager, I did quite a bit of traveling around the continental United States by way of the band I was in the invalids. And that was actually an interesting kind of travel because that was, um, We'll get into this a little bit more down the line, but you get this kind of like um, annoying edgelord hipstery, like that whole Anthony Bourdain thing where he's like belittling people for, you know, don't be a tourist, be a traveler and see things the real way, blah, blah. So I get that to an extent. And we're going to, as I said, we're going to talk about this more. But through the Invalids tour, it was kind of like that. Like we weren't, we weren't visiting these locales. Um, first of all, we were visiting weird locales. We weren't necessarily going to like Vacation Wonderland USA. We we're going to like some cities, but then also weird suburbs of places and weird places out in the middle of nowhere and sleeping on floors, sleeping in people's apartments. Um, a good case in point is the only other time in my life that I'd been to Hawaii um, was many, many moons ago when I was a teenager with the Invalids, we played um, two shows in Hawaii. We flew out there. We were there for, I don't know, maybe like a week or so. But um, that trip was interesting because we spent the first half of the trip staying with some OG Hawaiian people that lived in like a housing project in urban part of Honolulu. So we got to see that part of um, Hawaii, that, that perspective of life in Hawaii. Then we spent the other half living with um, or staying with like a Caucasian guy with Caucasian parents who lived in kind of a fancy house on the beach. So we saw that side of Hawaii. Two perspectives that we wouldn't have seen at all just by going like we did on this new 2022 trip as a family to a hotel because you're seeing people's personal lives from the ground level. But um, so the invalid travel afforded that. Um, And then post-invalids as a young adult, Ms. S and I did some travel. We went to the East Coast for our honeymoon. Um, we took a few trips here and there, but you know, when we were younger, we, like my parents before me, you know, didn't exactly have a lot of coin to be throwing around on, uh, travel accommodations and we were busy trying to get our life set up. So we didn't do a ton of travel Then we had the kids and had even less coin and less free time. But within the last like two years before COVID, I'd say we were trying to get, we were getting more into the rhythm of taking trips places. And enough so, not not a freakish amount, but enough so where I, someone that had been kind of apprehensive about air travel, 
um, had finally become totally accustomed to it. Um, I kind of had cliche fear of flying. Um, I didn't have it when I was younger. I developed it um, around the time of that aforementioned honeymoon when Ms. S and I went to the East Coast. It was the first first Memorial Day weekend after 9-11, I believe. And so everything seems scary about flying. And um, on that flight, I'd never really thought about flying much before that or been that afraid, but I kind of developed a, a cliche fear of flying that persisted in the years since that every time I'd go to the airport, every time I'd get ready to get on a plane to go visit somewhere, I'd think of it as this kind of funereal death march. Like I'm going probably to my death. Maybe I'll make it to the event I'm going to, but probably to my death. And that persisted till, um, like I say, maybe like four years ago, because like the two years leading up to the two years of COVID, um, we started flying a little bit more. And I finally, you know, I read an article about it and it, it just like, the statistics that are out there about the dangers of flying, it's so egotistical almost to think that anything's going to happen to you because the odds are so low. It's just absurd that really you should be going into a flying situation presuming the best and not the worst. And so I kind of latched onto that and I flipped it in my mind. And that's where I had gotten to that point. I remember the last flight I took pre-COVID was a flight to New York City and it was bumpy AF. And in the past, I would have assumed that meant the plane was crashing. But instead, I just kind of sat back, uh, leaned into the bumps and didn't really pay any mind. And then we were very shortly in New York City. And then I realized how amazing is air travel that you can like be on one side of the country in the morning and... A handful of hours later, you're in a completely different, distant land. We, I, I should, I should appreciate this. I shouldn't fear this. Um, so I'd gotten over my my uh, flight phobia, but then now, you know, I was two years out of practice. So we were, we were getting ready for this Hawaii trip, and I was feeling a little bit nervous. Um, but you know, I just kind of reread some of the material I'd read that had got me past all that cliche phobia stuff some years previous, and it it worked once again. And I got on that flight, and it was like twice as bumpy as the uh, that last New York flight I was on. But the thing that I kept in mind, because that's the thing that used to really bother me about flying, is that, that turbulence, feeling those bumps, just, just being kind of ignorant with the whole flight process. I just presumed, obviously, this must be presenting some amazing danger to the aircraft. But it's like, come on, dude. These aircraft are designed to withstand, like, you know, twice as much crap as could be possibly thrown at them in real world settings and what you, what feels like a big bump to you. I remember I, I read an account that a pilot uh, read and it's like a fearful flyer that doesn't understand fl- flying is probably sitting back there thinking, Oh my God, we're like bumping up and down, you know, tens of thousands of feet with each of these jolts. And in reality, the, the pilot and co-pilot are just kind of like sitting in the uh, uh, cockpit watching the altimeter or altimeter, whatever the hell the thing's called move like less than a fraction of an inch and like, One guy's like, oh, man, some of my orange juice spilled. That's the reality of the situation. Because that's the other thing, too. It's like, come on. If this was like, if you were cheating death every time you're in a plane, what's this crew and and, uh, pilots and crew doing going up here all day, every day, all all week long, you know, and looking just completely unflapped? So it was nice to get kind of recalibrated, put the whole flight thing in the back pocket again and just feel comfortable with it once more. As for the trip itself, we stayed at a hotel in downtown Honolulu in the the Waikiki Beach area. Um, Our reason for this is that oftentimes, you know, I'll see people go to Hawaii and post their Hawaii pictures. And I I noticed that it's often often, uh, uh, popular to go to 
kind of full-blown resort-type places or to kind of more, um, I don't want to say rural, but, you know, non-urban environments. Um, But for us, you know, no one in the family is particularly into any kind of wild and crazy extracurricular physical activity. So it's not like we were looking to do, we're, we're not there to surf, we're not there to do some intense scuba diving. You know, we're there to just kind of be away from, from home for a few days and take in new sights, new sounds. And um, we're all urban people. We like to, you know, go out and try different foods at restaurants. We like to go people watch. The kids like to go to dopey, you know, Sanrio-type gimmicky stores. And they had all of that in the urban Honolulu area. So, yeah, we weren't we weren't looking for, like, the luau thing. We weren't looking for necessarily being on some pristine, untouched uh, beach that we did see some of those. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, we just kind of wanted to be in the thick of the touristy urban part of, of Hawaii, of, of the island of Oahu. Uh, you know, the wife and I wanted to be able to go out and get a few cold ones after, you know, when the kids were occupied by themselves in the hotel room. And so we figured we'd have better luck doing that in a city environment than a more um, hinterland or resorty. I mean, I guess resorts, you know, you have an area where you can go get a drink. I don't know. We, we wanted to be right in the thick of downtown Honolulu. And so we were. I only, I only even mention this because, you know, people... We'll get into a little bit about this more through the course of this story. But people are so weird about always wanting to um, enforce their preferences on others. Everyone should feel free to have their preferences, to raise their preference flag. Um, That's fine. And as I'm saying this, I feel bad too because sometimes, and it is just me trolling, it is just me joking around, I will rake a wundle, a teen wundle. At Teen Wundle, T-E-E-N, numeral one, D-O-L, on the tweets, on the Twitter machine. Uh, he'll post something about some wretched Joshi promotion. That's that's this weird niche uh, women's Japanese wrestling. Um, not that there isn't great women's Japanese wrestling, but he likes this really weird stuff. Anyway, that, see, I'm doing it right now. I'll rake him over the coals for being into that stuff. I really should let the poor guy slide because you know what? I don't have to like it but he can like it till the cows come home. Uh, so Wendell, I apologize, man. I'm never going to give you a hard time about Choco Pro or any of that other nonsense again. You just knock yourself out, have a great old time watching three-foot-tall teenagers pretend to fight each other. I don't... To each their own. Anyway, uh, I say this because a lot of times, you know, you'll tell people where you're going to go for a trip and because it's not where they would necessarily go for a trip, they try to like police you like, well, you actually need to go to, and it's like, no, believe me, bro. There's a reason why we're doing this. If, if what you wanted to do worked for us, we would be doing what you wanted to do, but it doesn't. So we're doing what we want to do. And going to the tourist trap area of Waikiki is what we wanted to do and what we did. Um, we arrived there, um, Turned out great. Um, uh, the hotel was right across the street from the beach there at Waikiki. If you've ever played the video game Persona 5, the scene in which they go on their class trip to Hawaii, that was essentially what we were doing. We, we went to a hotel much like the one that's depicted in that game and then walked out across the street to the little strip of beach much as it's depicted in that game. It was very surreal to me um, because for some reason, I, I vividly remembered that scene from when I played it. And I, I was like, oh my God, we're in that scene from Persona 5. Okay. Um, but uh, the hotel had a... Um, if you're familiar with the um, the uh, celebrity chef... Oh, geez. I can't remember. 
I only remember his surname, Morimoto. How can I not remember his name? Let, let me let me look it up here on the uh, Google machine really quick. Morimoto Chef. Masaharu Morimoto. I should know this. He's like a Food Network celebrity. He was on the original Iron Chef show from Japan. Uh, he has a restaurant here in Napa, actually. Um, one of his first restaurants was in Philadelphia. And uh, Ms. S and I actually went there for dinner on our East Coast honeymoon trip. Um, anyway, uh, he has like a gimmicky like ramen chain restaurant. That, and there was one connected to the hotel that we were staying at. So before we were... We, it was too early to check in our room. We got some ramen at the Momo-san restaurant, which was, was was fun. I mean, of course, I'm sure you could get a better deal on ramen somewhere, a more uh, authentic ramen somewhere. You know, this is kind of the chain type of place that's going to be next to a hotel. But it was still, it, it was charming to be at a Morimoto brand restaurant uh, there on the beach in Honolulu. And we did eventually check into our room that first day. I think we spent some time out on the beach on Waikiki, and that beach worked out perfect for us because, again, we are not beach bros or broettes. Uh, So Ms. S and I are perfectly happy to just kind of sit there on the sand amidst a throng of people kind of watching the scene as the kids kind of splashed around in the water. And that part of the beach, there's a, there's a like retaining wall out in the water, so it kind of creates this shallow pool so you're in the ocean but you don't got to worry about getting swept away um perfectly perfectly good for us we spent some time out there um the next day we took a hike up to this area called diamond head you know i'm (laughs) this is this is peak mr sensational gino vega you know most people when they go on a hike at one of these places wherever it is in the world um, are going to be are, are going to apprehend the details. They're going to read the little signs about why the place is called Diamond Head Monument X, Y, and Z. I didn't. I, I realize now I didn't even read a single plaque, a single letter. I just went on the hike. So I don't know why it's called Diamond Head. But what I do know is you walk, you take a, about an hour long hike up this this breathtaking mountain. That's like it, it was a it was like a ten minute bus ride from where we were downtown. Then you get out and you hike. On this trail, um, you go up some really steep stairs that are like encased in the side of the mountain. You go in a freaky dark tunnel at one point, and then you eventually emerge up on top of this perch, and you're looking down at all of this pristine water below this beautiful island. Um, it was awesome. Like I said, I'm not an extracurricular physical person, but I am into hiking and walking and all that stuff. I just mean I'm not going to do any action adventure sports. It's not like I'm going to go and uh, not move my body at all or not do anything physical, but, but yeah, I, I'm more, I'm, I'm a simple physical person. I'll, I'll walk, hike, um, but nothing that requires gear or like a really exotic environment, I guess. <laughs> Let's see, what else did we do that first day? Um, Oh, after that hike, we uh, we took a lift ride out to this mall because it had a um, a Masubi cafe. And if you're familiar with Masubi, then I guess you already know what it is. But if you're not familiar with Masubi, it's basically this gimmick. Um, it's a Hawaiian uh, food that was inspired by Japanese nori-style seafood. But, uh, and so then it's also, it's a Hawaiian thing, but it came to Hawaiian from uh, food from a Japanese Asian influence. So then it ping ponged back into where now it pops up, you know, in a lot of Asian uh, 
food uh, cultures. Not it's not just Hawaiian anymore, but whatever. And that's horrible explanation. What it is is it's basically a um, pressed thing of rice, of steamed white rice, and then you'll often, most traditionally, a slab of. Uh, uh, spam on top of that, and then nori seaweed around the spam and the rice. So it's like a big, you know, uh, oversized sushi roll type of thing with spam. Delicious spam. Um, and at the Masubi Cafe, they have that basic kind, but then they had uh, any number of variations. Um, I think the one that I had had like spam, eel, and maybe like egg on it. And then um, this place also had rice balls. Um, and I, I can't remember the actual uh, Japanese term for this type of rice ball. But again, it was like a, a pyramid of rice. And then there's whatever kind of food substance associated with the particular ball that you order kind of poking out of the top of the pyramid, but it's also embedded within it. So for instance, I got a... Uh, fried chicken and mayonnaise rice ball. And so you could see the bit of the fried chicken popping out of the top. Most of it is submerged in the rice and you eat the ball and it's just this amazing bite. So we drove out to this mall to, to get uh, Masubi and rice balls. At the Masubi Cafe, something, you, you can get it here in the Bay Area, but this was like particularly top notch. They made it right in front of you, still warm when you get it. And um, uh, it was definitely, it was not unrecognizably better than what I'm used to here locally, but it was just a notch. It was just like the perfect iteration of what, of what is already a good thing. So that was cool. Um, I think that night, uh, Ms. S and I, the, the kids were just kicking back at the uh, hotel looking at their phones. So Ms. S and I kind of roamed downtown Waikiki area and uh, ended up at this little hole-in-the-wall bar inside of a food court and had a few drinks, and there was a really obnoxious guy sitting next to us. He was probably probably fodder for another episode, this, this belligerent guy espousing various, uh, to me, bizarre ideas of, of uh, how one should orientate themselves in family relationships and relationships with their kid. And we kind of listened there silently because he was regaling these other people. Then the other people left, and he started trying to regale us. And um, we kind of got out of there real quick because um, it was just not fun. <laughs> not fun conversing with this guy about his theories of um, child raising. Not that people aren't uh, more than welcome to have their theories. But it's just, again, it's this thing where you're just sitting there having to passively listen and be like, you know, I don't agree with anything you're saying. Why are you yelling at me about this? Um, but then not wanting to be a total jerk and be like, well, actually, I think you're an idiot. What you should do is blah, blah, blah. You know, so instead you just sit there simmering and chugging your drink so you can leave. Uh, the trip unfolded from there, and I don't want, I want to go into a blow-by-blow blow of every day, but we were there for about five days, I think, and um, just kind of bummed around, looked at different sites, tried different foods, um, did some more beach time, uh, got sunburnt, um, bought a welcome mat for our home here in Napa, California. Our home, since we moved in at the end of last November, has needed a welcome mat. We haven't been able to find one that we've all agreed on. And we randomly found one in front of a supermarket in Hawaii. And it was so weird because it was a stack out of Halloween-themed welcome mats. I don't know why. Because at first I was like, oh yeah, because Halloween's coming up. And then suddenly I realized, dude, it's not even... 
We haven't even gotten through the summer yet. But uh, there was like this yellow welcome mat with like black cats all over it, um, which we have a black cat. And we have two other cats who aren't black, but we have three cats. So it just seemed like an appropriate uh, welcome mat. So it had nothing to do with Hawaii, but we found one there um, and brought it back in our luggage with us. Um, I'm trying to think of anything, uh, any other standout uh, stories of note other than just kind of soaking in the experience there, relaxing. Oh, um, after going out that one night for drinks and it was really annoying because everything has a line and then when we did get into one place, the belligerent drunk guy next to us, we realized that the hotel we were at, um, it said it had a bar, but the bar was only open on Fridays and Saturdays. But then we realized that was only one bar. There was another bar associated with the hotel pool that was open every day. So one afternoon we went out there and had a couple drinks while the kids were otherwise occupied. And it was funny because I was wearing a t-shirt that I own that depicts RoboCop and the professional wrestler Sting on the front of the shirt. Because it's a nod back to this uh, old WCW pay-per-view where RoboCop participated in a Sting match. And the two bartenders at the hotel bar, when I walked up wearing that shirt, did something that they call in wrestling popping huge. Like I basically came up and they were like, ah, you know, there's an audible reaction from the crowd. And then one guy was like, is that Sting and RoboCop? I was like, why, yes, it is. And they actually didn't know about the WCW pay-per-view. So I got to uh, wrestle-splain them that that this wasn't just a random shirt, that this had, uh, this team-up had happened in the wild. And they were they were kind of interested to hear about that. So that was cool because I, mean, I think we went back to that bar one other time and it was the same guys. And so like every time I'd come, they'd be like, this guy's just living the dream. Um, oh, they were also popping because I was wearing a D&D hat, this baseball hat that I have that has like an old, the old TSR D&D logo. Um, I guess I don't see a lot of uh, people wearing... Um, obnoxious, ironic gamer nerd clothes at the top. That's actually not at the top at the fifth floor of the, of the, whatever that hotel was called there in Waikiki. Um, other notable moments of the trip, uh, I had one of the most enjoyable meals of my life. Um, one night when we were looking for a place to eat and we found a Japanese izakaya style restaurant. Izakayas are kind of like, um, Oh, they're sort of like pubs, Japanese, like, you know, the alcoholic drinks and kind of small plate bar food, um, usually really small places. And this one was like no exception. It was this tiny little hole in the wall uh, around the corner from like an abandoned building in downtown Honolulu and uh, went in there and I swear to God, it was like so perfect. Like the, the Antonio Inoki, one of the two pillars, the two... One of the two founders of modern Japanese wrestling, Antonio Noki, his theme song was playing like off a record uh, when we went in. Um, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, it was this place was, it was being operated by just four young people, two in the kitchen and two on the floor. And they just had a bunch of crazy stuff on the menu and some like cold Kirin draft beer. And that meal was just everything that you hope for. And it is a Kaya experience. Just a very charming hole in the wall where you feel, oh, the place was called Izakaya Pauhana Base. And Pauhana, I looked up in, in like Hawaiian pidgin English, means after work. So the place was like the after work base. Because it's the kind of place where you just kind of skulk in there after work and slide into a, a, a booth. Not a booth, but like slide into a table, order a Kirin draft, order some, I don't know, what do we have? Some pan-fried udon noodles with all kinds of crazy stuff in it. Um, 
What else do we have that was good there? Some grilled smelt, grilled smelt fish. That was excellent. We had like a whole fish, and I can't remember what kind of fish it was now. I don't know. Great. Good times. Exactly. That was like the pinnacle of my my eating there is what I was hoping for and what I, what I managed to find. I also got a kick of eating at this place called Marogami Udon, which it turns out, I guess they have locations in the Bay Area. I didn't realize it. It's like this ubiquitous chain in Japan. It's like an Udon. Udon McDonald's. Like you go in and you order like McDonald's style, like from behind a counter and you get your Udon put on a tray. But it's like, but they make the noodles there. So it's like this is excellent Udon. Place had a line wrapped around the block the entire time we were there. Um, so we stopped by when they first opened on our last day there, where later in the day we had to fly out and, um, still had to wait in line, but it only took, I didn't realize that it was just like a, a counter that you went up to and ordered. So the line is just constantly moving. So, uh, there was one bro that was losing his crap in line. He reminded me of some of the customers back at crown and he kept thinking like, he was very paranoid that people were trying to get ahead of him. He was very paranoid that like he had to justify why he was at his place in line. And it's like, bro, no one cares. It's all good in the hood. Um, he got in. We got in. Good times. Um, one other interesting food experience, and then I'll wind this down here. Um, we ate at a place. I noticed it when we first got there, and then we got it as like a snack dinner kind of thing one night. It's a place called, uh, I think it was like Hula, it was either Hula Dog or Aloha Dog. It had some stereotypical Hawaiian name, but it was a little hot dog stand in this little AstroTurf patch of ground um, off the street where they had a bunch of like kind of little food trailers. They weren't even food trucks, like food trailers. But this place <laughs> it was selling outlandish sounding hot dogs. And uh, I think it had been featured on some Anthony Bourdain show at one point because they had like a cardboard cutout of him out in front. So we went, and so, of course, we thought it would be perfect because it's like, you know, we can get our outlandish hot dogs with all the weird stuff they're going to put on it, and our kids can just get basic hot dogs. That's the beauty of the hot dog. You can get whatever you want on it. But the edgelord guy that was working behind there started freaking out when our kids were ordering plain hot dogs. He's like, what's wrong with you? You're the type. You probably just only take your kids to the Cheesecake Factory and McDonald's. It's actually... Well, that's not true. Um, our kids are actually very quirky eaters because while they're being bizarrely plain about these hot dogs, they'll also eat weird stuff like oysters. You can't make that kind of a snap judgment about people. Again, it's like people have their preferences. They have what they're going to do. You don't need to please them. If you don't want to serve plain hot dogs to kids, don't offer it as an option. But I think this guy was kind of trying to do that whole Bordanian, you know, shooting fish in the barrel little tangent here. I've never been a fan of that Anthony Bourdain guy. I find him to be such a, like a phony hipster snob, but he'll only pull that out. If he, he'll only do that edgelord thing. If it's an audience, he thinks he can get away with making fun of, you know, like he'll, he'll, he'll just like shoot fish in the barrel, make fun of like middle Americans for going to like Applebee's. And yes, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to go to Applebee's, but it's just like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just like, that's such an easy target for him. But then when he was uh, confronted with someone challenging, um, like I remember one time on one episode of one of the shows, he was hanging out with the infamous MMA Diaz brothers. And anything they said, because he knows they'll like snap his neck as soon as look at them. Just, oh, yeah, whatever you say, guys, whatever you say. <laughs> That's hilarious, guys, whatever you say. So just, I, I don't like that kind of thing. It rubs me the wrong way. Um, so this guy was trying to do that thing, like, oh, I can pick on these little kids because because they their palates aren't developed and they don't want my 
my uh, habanero hot dog with mango slaw. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them feel bad about themselves. So that was kind of a bummer. Then the guy screwed up the order, which normally I'm totally, I'm not one of these belligerent customers. I'm, I, but it just, it was kind of ironic that like, you're going to, you're going to come at with, come at us with that much attitude, then screw up the order. Um, and then the hot dogs were good, but dude, like I ordered the one that was supposed to be spicy habanero. I tasted no spice. So bro, maybe you're the one with the underdeveloped palate. Maybe you're the one who's coming a little too basic. You might want to step up your game next time. That's all I'm saying. Aloha hula dog. Um, in closing, uh, I will just circle back really quick and talk about this whole policing of preferences. That was another weird thing. Um, that happened on this trip. Uh, it was for the first time in a long time, we were taking a lot of Lyft, Lyft rides, Lyft and Uber rides. We use the Lyft app and it's all the same thing. Um, and that's another transportation thing that I'd been, become quite used to pre pandemic. And now I hadn't taken in a couple of years, but the thing that's crazy when you're getting a lift in a place that a lot of tourists are at is, um, sometimes you'll get the gym lift driver that just doesn't talk at all. And I love that. Not that I'm trying to be antisocial, not that I'm trying to be belligerent, but we're, this is already an awkward transaction that we're like paying a stranger to give us a ride. Let's just all enjoy the silence because there's just no point in talking. But then you get the ones that are chatty and some of the chatty ones are fine, jovial, but we had quite a few that were very belligerent about wanting to know what your plans were for visiting Hawaii and then um, telling you why you shouldn't do any of that, why you should do what they want you to do. And again, it's like, I understand that. I appreciate it. And, and we actually got awesome advice from one guy. He wasn't being like that. He was just kind of get, telling us his take on things. And it was, it was great because one day we rented a car and we drove up the coast of the North Shore. He advised us to go a certain way where we would get the maximum, um, maximum exposure to different sites and stuff versus the more boring freeway approach. And that was great. That, that panned out awesome. But then we have other guys that's like, no, don't, don't do this, do that, do this, do that. And it, it's not specific to Hawaii. That's just such a weird human thing. You're just like, you, and I guess it's a, it's a fine line between offering advice and offering suggestions and trying to, um, enforce what other people should do. I don't know. I'm going to think about that more moving forward, just from my experiences on this trip. Again, Wendell. You'll never hear a word from me again. You you do you, man. You do you. Um, and then just finally, I want to say um, two last reflections. This, this episode goes a bit long, and I apologize. But um, reflection one, I enjoyed going on this trip. I did, in a sense, miss going on trips for a few years. But at the same time, when all is said and done, when all cards are on the table, I'm a homebody. By the end of the trip, I'm ready to go home. I don't understand, and once again, we just talked about this. I'm not saying other people need to conform to this, but I know so many people that are obsessed with the idea of travel, like their whole reason for being is travel. Like if you're not traveling the world, there's something wrong with you. Uh, I, had a, I had a boss at my last job who thought that the only way you could truly know yourself or understand the world is if you, if you spent at least a year doing foreign travel by yourself. And maybe for her that was true. And she was aghast that I, I haven't done foreign travel. And I was like, well, when I was your age, rather than running around the globe by myself, I was building relationships that turned into the family that I have now. And of course, not everyone wants a family or needs a family. But for me, that was my thing. So, yeah, on one hand, you know, more power to you if you're one of these 24-7 world travel people, people move constantly. 
I, I got to have a home base, man. I got to have my, my life that doesn't change that much. And it's not because I'm some flawed person or lesser person. It's just that that's the way I apprehend life. That's the way I take things in. I don't think, I don't think that the only way you can live life is to be constantly a stranger in a strange land, exposing yourself to new and different things. Because let's face it, a lot of it is all the same in the end anyway, just with a different rapper. I don't mean a rapper like, yo, word to your mother. I mean like a, a you know... Something that is an exterior that a thing is wrapped up in. Um, So there's that. And then the other final weird little Gino Vegan thing that I came away from this trip uh, with was I was thinking about the rhythm of the trip in the five days or so we were there. And towards the end, it occurred to me that at the beginning of this trip and any trip like it that we've ever gone on, in the beginning for that first day or a couple days, everything's new and coming at you fast and like each moment seems long and uh, each experience that you have, um, you know, is kind of setting the stage for how things are. Then... um, once you get a few days in, you're kind of in a rhythm and things are kind of becoming a routine and the days start flying by. And then by the very end, you're looking back and you're like, how did this five days pass? I can barely remember it. It seems like it just started, but now it's over. And now it's coming to an end. And I realized these trips, these vacations, these little little times we spend away from the everyday create a, a strange microcosm of life itself. Because when you are young... Life is new. Life is fresh. A year is like a decade. Uh, Everything that's happening is is imprinting itself on you and seems epic and monumental. Then you get to middle age and time is just hurtling by and you can't even remember where things have gone. And then presumably you get to the end of life. And I'm thinking now, I wonder if the end of life is similar to the end of the vacation where on one hand, how did it possibly go by so fast? But on the other hand, you're kind of looking forward to going home. And if you're kind of looking forward to going home by the end of a vacation, and if that really is an allegory of life itself, and you're kind of looking forward to going home at the end of life, maybe that move onto the great beyond isn't so bad after all. Food for thought here on the MSGV podcast. I don't know. This is what I was thinking of, of while we were packing up our, our luggage and doing our final sweep of the hotel. We're back now. It's great to be back. Um, I'm sorry that we went a few minutes longer than I usually try. I try to keep this like a 35 minute show. Even that's too long. We're at 42. Hey, that's the way it goes. Sometimes. I don't know. I just sit down with the microphone and talk. Um, with that said, I'll be back next week. Um, until then it's me. It's me. It is Mr. Sensational Gino V and I am signing off. Do you want to go straight to in a while.